VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio. I am so glad you're with us today because, honestly, I think this may be the most important show that we've done yet on Go Green Radio. We've covered a lot of great topics giving you a lot of great information. But today we're going to talk about what happens uh, when the economy takes a downturn and what effect that may have on our ability to recycle in the U.S. You know, there's so many things that we take for granted here in the U.S. I mean, we, we turn on our tap and we expect the water to be clean enough to cook in, clean enough to drink, and yet we hear in Zimbabwe right now the, the water is, is poor quality. People are getting cholera. There's I think about 13,000 people sick just in the last week. Um, and, and we take our water supply for granted. We also take for granted that when we put our recyclables in our little bin, then somebody takes it away, that, uh, that it's actually not going to end up in a landfill. And, you know, it, that's typically the case. We have a great recycling system here in the United States, but it relies upon a lot of things, not the least of which is the global economic market. And recently... As we all know, the, the economy has taken a downturn, and that's, that's having a, an impact on our recycling here in the U.S. And so today we're going to talk to three experts who are in different areas, different areas of expertise um, within the recycling world, and they're going to explain to us what's going on. Now, they're all from California, and though this is a national show, as you know, California tends to be on the leading edge of a lot of things that deal with environmental topics and recycling. So what those of you out of the state of California are going to hear about today is also going on in your neck of the woods, and it would be worth talking to the linear counterparts of the people we're going to talk to today in your state, in your community, to find out what's going on there. Our first guest today is an old friend, Steve Moore. Uh, He's the president of Pacific Rim Recycling here in the Bay Area of California. And Steve, I want to welcome you to Go Green Radio. Thank you, Jill. Good day to you and to all of your listeners. Well, I'd like to start by thanking you for being such an integral part of the recycling here in California. And many of our listeners, just we don't know the path that our recyclables take from the time we put the recyclables in our bin to the time that can or bottle or piece of paper becomes a new product that's made of recycled material. Can you take a few minutes and kind of explain that process to our listeners? Sure, I'd be happy to do that. Of course, we collect multi-grades um, of materials at our homes. We put them in our carts. We wheel those carts out to the curb. The material is collected by an automatic uh, collection vehicle, and it's delivered to an intermediary processing facility similar to the one that I operate in Benicia, California. And at that facility, the materials are separated into their component parts. So the newspaper and mixed paper goes one way, the cardboard goes another way, the glass goes another way, the PET bottles, the water and the soda bottles, the HDP bottles, the large water bottles and milk, milk jugs, uh, bimetal cans, tin metal cans, um, all these things get separated into their component parts, and they get packaged for shipment in full truckload quantities to either an end user or to another processing location where the f- materials are further gra- upgraded to then go to an end user. And so most of the material on the west coast of California, uh, at least the paper components, are shipped uh, to the ports of Long Beach, uh, Los Angeles, and Oakland, and then are uh, shipped across the seas to Asia where they're made into new products. 
I see. I see. Now, some of our listeners that are involved with my nonprofit organization, the Go Green Initiative, um, we encourage them to set up profit-sharing agreements with their local recyclers or waste haulers so that they receive money for items that are recyclable, that they separate from their garbage. Give us your perspective on those types of financial agreements and how they work. Well, certainly they're different in different regions of the country. In the state of California, and I believe there's a number of other states that have deposit laws or redemption laws, and in those cases, there's a value to recyclables that exceeds the scrap value of the recyclable because you pay a, a fee when you buy the product to consume the contents of the product. And so where there are nonprofits collecting those types of recyclables, there will remain a profitable um, effort for them. Where it's recyclables that do not have that type of fee on them, newspaper, cardboard, that sort of thing, um, if they're collecting those items, those items may no longer, or at least not for the moment, have a positive cash flow value to them. Gotcha. And, and what do you think the, the benefit of those kinds of financial agreements might be in terms of waste diversion and, and recycling rates? Well, certainly any kind of financial incentive to recycle is a big plus for recycling. The recycling industry really is, you know, is multifaceted, and the downturn in the economy and the prices that are being paid for paper recyclables is a big and difficult problem for the recycling industry, and especially a particular sector of that recycling industry. So, for example, those people who are out picking up materials, you see them going down the road every so often with their trucks packed with cardboard. They provide a valuable service picking up stuff from small generators, but the value of that commodity is now below the cost to do that service, and so those people have parked those trucks and that material is likely ending up in garbage cans and going to landfill as we speak. Oh, boy. And our landfills. Now, I know this is the case in California. Certainly, I've, I've spent a lot of time in Florida as well, and, um, you know, they're not keen on building new landfills. Uh, we just can't handle that capacity. You know, if those materials aren't diverted, um, our landfills are going to become landfills PDQ. Yeah, notwithstanding the economics of the situation, certainly the environmental considerations are actually accelerating in terms of the benefits of recycling as we look at global warming, energy mm-hmm. conservation, and those kinds of things. But when you look at the economics, they certainly are different in different parts of the country. Mm-hmm. The recycling industry is really based on goods movements, transportation costs, and value of the commodity as well. And so those of us that are close to the ports or close to rail spurs we have access to be able to deliver our recyclables to market. Those places that are maybe in the Midwest don't have the same kind of economic structure that we have. Right. But certainly you made a good point because we're talking, you hear, I mean, just about every day somebody talking about carbon emissions or a cap-and-trade program to reduce carbon emissions. And, you know, there are plenty of folks in the environmental establishment who will wag their finger at somebody driving an SUV. But the fact is one of the most concentrated and, and toxic gases, greenhouse gases, that goes up is the methane out of landfills. It's like 23 times more um, harmful to uh, the environment and to the air quality than what's coming out of your tailpipe. And so, you know, while we need to reduce our consumption of fossil fuels and, and, and maybe use mass transit and, and what have you, that's all a great idea. But the fact is, all the stuff we throw away and send to the landfill is creating methane gas, which is far more uh, a carbon issue than even 
driving, you know. And so I think, you know, there's so many benefits to keeping as much out of the landfill as possible, not the least of which is, of course, the economic benefit of not having to build new landfills, but certainly the very air that we breathe. Now, Steve, as the president of Pacific Rim Recycling, tell us how you personally came to be in the recycling industry. I mean, what about it piqued your interest? Well, you know, life is fateful in many ways. Um, I came out of college, and I was a professional at the YMCA for San Francisco, and we had a, I had a number of programs that I was responsible to run, and one of them was an ecology club, and another was a youth employment project, and we had a small recycling center at the back of uh, our facility, uh, and this is, you know, 30 years ago before recycling was really, uh, you know, a mainstream kind of event. Mm-hmm. And then I left the, uh, the YMCA and was hired by the city of Palo Alto to install a curbside recycling program one of the first 12 in the country. Wow. And, and while I was there, we, we also installed a composting program, a schools recycling program, commercial recycling program, government building recycling program, landfill face salvaging program, a vermicomposting test pilot, and solid waste reduction education programs in the grocery stores. And, and before I left the city of Palo Alto, um, they were designated as one of the most, well, actually the most active recycling city in the nation by the California State Integrated Waste Management Board. Wow, that's pretty amazing. So I saw an opportunity that uh, this industry would be growing, and, and so then I went on my own um, and began Pacific Rim Recycling, and it's, it's, uh, it uh, has grown into you know, a reasonable, regionally uh, important recycling operation. That's very cool, Steve. So you were green way before it was cool, huh? <laughs> it's, been, it's been 30 years. <laughs> before we knew there was a Nobel Peace Prize for it, right? <laughs> I'll tell you an interesting story. When I... When I first was in the business, and you'd go to a party, and people would say, well, what do you do? And I would say, well, I, I'm, a, I'm a recycler. And they'd say, oh, that's interesting, and they'd move on. <laughs> uh, Ten years later, I, I'd go to a, 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 a gathering, and people would say, well, what do you do? I'd say, I, you know, I'm in the recycling business. And everybody would gather around and say, gosh, I've been recycling forever. I was the first recycler, practically. <laughs> and, uh, and so, yeah, it goes through ups and downs in terms of uh, you know, people being interested in it. And um, I think in the last few years, you know, it kind of got to a lull where people kind of took it for granted and, and appreciated the ability to recycle conveniently and did it right. and felt good about it. And then I think it kind of got to a lull, but then we started looking at greenhouse issues and, mm-hmm. and uh, the, greening, uh, the, green, the green movement, really, something that you've been heavily involved in. And yep. I think people are, again, interested to find out what more can they do. Well, and, and I think you're exactly right, and I think people are beginning to understand something that I talk about a lot, which is that, you know, it, it doesn't have to be trees and spotted owl-centric. I mean, when I'm talking to people about going green, it's entirely human-centric. There's a human health and economic benefit to doing what we're doing. Now, um, before we go to our first break, I want to get to this issue so people understand you know, how your company is successful. As far as I understand, it depends on two main things. Uh, you have re- recyclable products to sell and a buyer for those products. Under normal economic conditions, how do you ensure a healthy balance between those two things? Well, Jill, this is a, a world economy, mm-hmm. and the recyclable materials that are generated are humongous in their volume, their mass, and the movement of those goods to market is a humongous industry. And in our case, our economics are based on material being delivered to our facility, the cost to separate those materials, and the cost to deliver them to the end user. And in most cases, and for many, many, many years, most years, 
the value of the commodity has been able to cover those costs and provide a profit to our business. Mm-hmm. Today, the value of those commodities have dropped so drastically in such a short period of time that it's now below the cost to process and deliver those materials to market. Wow. And how many people do you employ? Like, generally, how big is your company? Just give us a kind of scope. Yeah, we actually are two companies. Uh, Pacific mm-hmm. Rim Recycling is a 65-employee company in Venetia, mm-hmm. California. Mm-hmm. And our other company, which I don't think you and I have talked about, is PNR Trucking, which is an intermodal trucking company, meaning that we're in and out of the port of Oakland 100 times a day bringing containers and products in and wow. bringing containers back to put on the ships for shipment to Asia. Most of the stuff that we bring back for export is recyclables, not only from our recycling facility, but from many recycling facilities throughout Northern California. Wow. Well, when we come back, we've got more with Steve Moore. Um, We're going to talk about what's going on right now, the current events of the economy as it is and how that's affecting his business. So stay with us through the break. We'll be right back with more Go Green Radio. Voice counts. Call toll free 1 866 472 5787. 1 866 472 5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Now, Mrs. Johnson, before we close on your mortgage loan, I want to make sure you remember Mike. Hi. You can trust me. I'm African-American, just like you. So here's the low monthly payments and interest rates we promised, and here's where they triple. The rest of this stuff is just here to make sure that we get your house when you can't pay us back. What a lovely house. Predatory lenders are never this easy to spot. Call us at 866-222-FAIR and protect yourself with the facts. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Fair Housing Alliance and the Ad Council. Radio by George is a lifestyle program dedicated to improving the lives of listeners by focusing on the holistic growth of their mind, body, and spirit. Host Eddie George shares his life experiences as well as the experiences of his guest commentators and experts with the listening audience to focus them toward reaching their personal and professional goals. Tune in every Monday afternoon at 1 p.m. PST, 4 p.m. EST to Radio by George on the Voice America channel and learn more from the life experiences of a man who went from being a somewhat unruly kid in the streets of Philadelphia to a retired professional athlete who has become a role model for not only young people, but for businessmen and women globally. Plan to spend your Monday afternoons with Eddie George and his empowering talk radio show, Radio by George. That's every Monday at 1 p.m. PST, right here on the Voice America channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. 
VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Today... We're talking about a very, very important and current topic, and that is, will recycling in the United States become another casualty of the economy? Boy, you know, we hope not, but the fact is recycling is only possible because there's a market for recyclable goods. Um, Recycling is a business. It creates jobs. It's a good thing for our economy. But right now, the market is suffering, and we're talking to Steve Moore, the president of Pacific Rim Recycling, who is giving us the inside scoop on how his business works under normal market conditions. Now we're going to be talking to him about what's going on right now. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, Steve. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, thank you Joel. It's great to be here. Well, now that we have a rudimentary understanding of the important role you've been playing and how we're able to recycle our goods, let's talk about how the current economic conditions are affecting your business. Um, I saw a quote in an article a couple days before Thanksgiving in the Contra Costa Times, a newspaper here in the Bay Area of California, that talked about what's happening with the Asian market for recyclables. Tell our listeners about what's going on there. Well, I think everybody knows that the industrial capacity of the United States has been moved, much of it or most of it, to other places around the world where there's lower-cost labor. Mm-hmm. And this is this is really a, a cause and effect of the change to low cost shipping from the containerization that's that we see these ships with these big containers on them stacked ten high, and that has lowered the cost of moving goods around the world so that the industrial community could move to and find low cost labor to bring us cheap goods uh, to the United States. And so, what has happened is is since our goods are being manufactured overseas those overseas locations need recyclable materials to make the packaging and to make some of those goods that are then shipped back to us for our, for our consumption. Mm-hmm. And, and now, in terms of, of your business and how the Asian markets uh, purchase and what they do with those materials, um, tell us a little bit more about that. Sure. Well, you can imagine that... Um, that Basically, industry has a peak season. We've all heard about it. The Christmas, the fall season is the, the number one consumption and purchasing time of year. And, and so the, the paper mills, as well, as well as the manufacturers of goods, they tend to inventory and stockpile to meet the needs that they anticipate for that season. And what happened was is that all of these industries were building inventories through the summer getting ready, and the season never came to them. So they found themselves at these paper mills, you can imagine, with hundreds and thousands and thousands of tons of finished product that were not selling. Mm. And in the meantime, they, have, they keep a 40 to 60-day supply of raw material that they'd like to put through the machine to make finished products. And they had bought that at all-time highs because I think we all heard about theft of copper and theft of metals and all these things. Right. The commodities yeah. markets got so high. So what happened was when they couldn't sell their finished product, they slowed their machines down so that they could be just below what they could sell, and they tried to sell off their inventory what they could sell to raise cash. And the financial meltdown, they couldn't borrow cash to carry them through, 
So they stopped buying raw materials, literally shut the door on raw materials, and started using up some of that 60-day inventory to try again, not have to put out cash, and try to raise cash. And Basically, they shut down the recycling market at the end of October completely. And what happened to you? Well, oh my goodness, what happened to us is that we've got this flow of material that's you know, beyond your listeners' um, uh, normal thinking <laughs> yeah. um, coming through our facility yeah. and all the facilities, and we were, we were just literally unable to ship that material, and we had to uh, find storage space to, to, to warehouse it, to inventory it, to hold on to it until the market opened up again. But here's an example of how bad it was. There were ships that were on the water, on the way, that the buyers had already committed to purchase the raw materials in those ships, the metals, the paper, whatever, at a predetermined price, and they broke those promises. And those who had sold into those agreements ended up just getting killed because they bought the material based on what they thought was a known sales price, based on letters of credit and what you would think would be legal agreements, and the buyers basically backed out on it. Wow. Gosh, now there have to be scores of companies in America you know, who, who are in the same business that you are, in the same predicament. Um, <laughs> what are folks in the industry saying about, you know, what, what the future holds? I mean, if this happens again, if this, you know, instability remains, what's going to happen? You know, I don't think anybody really knows for sure how it's going to end up. I mean, when, when is our economy going to turn around? And when are the financial markets going to be okay? And when is the real estate market going to get back to its normal ticking up rather than ticking down? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when are these things going to change? Certainly we've seen some, some relief in the short run. Most mm-hmm. of us, at least near the coasts where we get to the ships at, in a fairly inexpensive way, have been able to get rid of this inventory for the moment. Um, we're all making plans to be able to inventory again as we approach Chinese New Year, which is at the end of January. Mm-hmm. So we're, you know, we're basically preparing to inventory material where we need to be to be able to sort of weather the porpoising effect of the of the market. You know, being able to take the materials. Maybe it's not going to next week. Maybe it will the following week. But yeah, we're all very nervous. Have you ever experienced this much volatility in the market, where you don't know week to week, day to day, what's going to happen? Well, Jill, you know, I've been in this, as I say, 30 years, and so I've seen a number of cycles in the, in the industry, and I can tell you that, yes, we have seen, you know, fairly wide price fluctuations in value. You know, it could be worth $100 a ton, and then three weeks later it's worth 20 bucks a ton, or it could be worth, you know, 50 bucks a ton, and then three weeks later it's worth 100 bucks a ton. But I have never experienced, in, in my 30 years, a complete shutdown of the market where there's just no place to sell it at all. Wow. And, and what kind of communication is happening right now between U.S. recyclers and Asian buyers? You know, I think we're going through a period of trying to um, regain our friendliness uh-huh. and, our, and our friendships a bit. Um, certainly those who got, you know, burned on those agreements where those ships couldn't be off, wouldn't be offloaded or mm-hmm. um, the buyer said, well, I know that I promised you $100 per ton, but I'm breaking that agreement and I'm going to pay you 50 If you want me to take it, what are you going to do? So there's some bad feelings about yeah. that. Yeah. And, but the reality of it is, is you, you really can't blame anyone, in my view, because the physical reality is, is you can only take what you can handle. Right. And you can only take what you convert into new products that you can sell. Right. And with right. The, down, the downflow of consumerism, um, there's less products being sold, so there's less things that they can take. Right. 
I mean, they're in business, too. It's a a very difficult... And this is what we've been seeing, you know, throughout this economic downturn is the ripple effect. There's... You can't have one industry or, you know, one market that suffers without it having a ripple effect on others. And and I think this is a a really, you know, surprising to a lot of folks, you know, situation. A lot of people probably haven't thought about, you know, the economic downturn having an effect on how we can recycle, but... But it, it's all it's all linked together. Now, what about state and federal communication happening between the U.S. and China on this situation? Is there any? Yeah, you know, I believe there is. As the issue becomes more imperative, mm-hmm. uh, there'll be more conversation. I think some of your other guests today may have more insight as to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly at the state level, the California Resource Recovery Association, we're all talking and list-serving each other and trying mm-hmm. to figure out what we can do to improve the situation. The National mm-hmm. Recycling Association is, is, uh, is helping in the same way. Um, there's lots of dialogue taking place as to what can be done. I think a lot of people will be pushing to try and provide greater incentives to rebuild our domestic uh, industry for the use of recycled materials, and I think that's a good mm-hmm. thing for us to do. Well, that's my next question because it really does make you wonder why our U.S. recycling system is so dependent upon overseas markets. What's the deal with our domestic, you know, market for recyclables? Help us understand why the Asian market is so critical and, you know, what we might be able to do to, to beef up the domestic market so it's a little more stable. Well, we, do, we need to provide incentive, of course, for market development in this country and manufacturing in this country. Um, most of our manufacturing or greater majority of our manufacturing has been moved offshore, and mm-hmm. a lot of that revolved around labor costs and, and environmental um, and the difficulties to site facilities, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And, um, and that becomes, you know, gives you a whole other issue to talk about on another show in terms of us sending our stuff overseas and what is that meaning to their environment as compared yeah. to not doing it here. But the reality is we do need more markets for recyclable materials in our own country. And, you know, there's a tremendous energy uh, consumption and, and greenhouse effects by shipping materials halfway across the world and then all the way back again Absolutely. That, that we hadn't considered before. And I think we're starting to look at that, and I'm hoping that uh, our legislature will be able to realize that they need to provide greater incentives to end use of secondary materials in this country. Absolutely. Well, and I mean, the best incentive is for consumers to buy things made of recycled content material. I mean, just, you know, last week I went out and I'm, this is really domestic, but I'm making a scarf. I'm into crocheting. It's relaxing um, for my daughter. And I bought some thread that's made of 100% recycled content material, plastic bottles, and it's really soft. And so it's a great material. But, I mean, it's, it's choices like that. I mean, there's nothing like the power of the purse to drive those kinds of, of market changes. And so, you know, part of the equation, and this isn't the, the, the entire equation, but part of it is, you know, creating a, con- a cadre of consumers who will patronize companies that use recycled content material. Well, Steve, in the, in the one minute we have left, before we take a break, I, first of all, I want to thank you so much for all that you do to keep our recyclables out of landfills, and I want to wish you the very, very best in the coming months um, are there any final comments you'd like to share with our audience? Um, you know, I mean, I, I certainly don't want to raise a panic, you know, about <laughs> recycling in the U.S. What what parting advice or words of comfort might you give us? Well, thank you, Jill. Um, you know, I don't think anyone should change their habits of recycling right now, and certainly not your listeners. I think that they should continue to do what they know is the right thing, and 
let us, who are the professionals in the industry, you know, figure out these downturns and these ups and downs. And, and ha- but I do think that they can help us influence um, policy changes that could lead us to greater incentives for end-use markets in our own country. So don't don't change your habits, but uh, and be positive as, as we are in the industry. And I think things will work out. Thank you so much, Steve. It was a delight having you on Go Green Radio, and uh, we'll hope to have you back again soon. Folks, don't go away. We'll be right back with more Go Green Radio in just a moment. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. No excuses, no delays. If you have goals you want to achieve or changes you need to make, then it's time to take charge of your life with America's change buddy, Nancy Christie. This show will help you lead a more productive and fulfilling life starting now. Take Charge of Your Life challenges you to expand your sense of possibilities. Take Charge of Your Life with Nancy Christie is broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on Voice America. Let's change be a positive force in your life take a wild guess how much garbage generated in the united states today is converted into energy is it 26 percent 43 percent or 14 percent working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean green energy solvanta energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy oh yeah that question i asked earlier today only 14 percent of u.s garbage is converted to energy just 14 percent solvanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world for more information about covanta energy visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time, the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. We have got a great show today because this is a really timely current event kind of topic. We're talking about the effect that the economic downturn has had upon recycling markets. And we've been seeing some blips in the recycling market. And we are talking to three folks who are experts in the field. Um, They're all here in California with me. But what they're experiencing is also going on in other parts of the country. So for all of you listeners in other states, um, just know that you know California is just one example of what's going on, and you might want to reach out to their linear counterparts in your state, your neck of the woods, to find out what the recycling situation is in in your state. Now, coming to us now in the in the third segment of our show is Paul Morrison. He's the executive director of the Central Contra Costa County Solid Waste Authority. Welcome to Go Green Radio, Paul. Thanks for being with us. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me, Jill. 
You bet. Now, you, as the executive director uh, of this agency, have been with the agency for a while, but uh, we're, and we'll talk about your history there for uh, in, in just a little bit. But tell our listeners from across the U.S. what your agency does. Well, Jill, uh, Contra Costa County is a large county in the East Bay of the San Francisco Bay Area, and we represent six cities in the county, in the central part of the county, and we take care of all of the solid waste collection, recycling, and diversion activities for those member agencies. Now, in saying that you take care of it, how do you interface with the actual waste haulers? Are you the garbage truck guys that come around to everybody's you know, home, or do you work with the companies that do that? What we actually do, Jill, is we franchise garbage collection. That is to say we contract uh, with Allied Waste Services for our garbage and our commercial garbage pickup and waste management services for our recycling and diversion and diverted materials. And so we have franchises or contracts with them, and we specify how we want it done, and uh, we give these uh, individuals, these companies, the exclusive right to do that business within our service area. Right. And then if I understand it correctly, when their contract comes up for renewal, then there's a competitive process where other companies can compete for the business, and they have to meet your request for proposal guidelines, and you evaluate you know, each time the contract's up for, up for renewal. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. And the contracts generally in the industry are about 10 years because that's the use life of the, of the equipment that's right. used to pick up and haul the stuff. And so a 10-year franchise is issued precisely as you've indicated. Okay. Now, Paul, you actually helped to start the Central Contra Costa County Solid Waste Authority. Tell us a little bit about the history of the organization and what was going on in California or maybe local public policy that helped to create the right conditions for the creation of this organization. Well, the organization was uh, created in the very early 90s for two purposes. And first, uh, there was something of a landfill crisis at that time because there was a shortage of landfills, and counties that had landfills could basically refuse to take uh, commodities in their landfill from any other county or charge extremely high rates for that uh, for, for that service. And so we formed to deal with that problem, feeling that instead of having individual cities with, say, 100 tons of garbage to deal with, if we put all of our garbage together and had six, 700 tons a day of garbage, we would be more a player. That is to say, we would have enough of the commodity that we could uh, negotiate deals, contract deals, so in any event, we formed for that purpose, but at the same time, the state had passed Assembly Bill 939, mm-hmm. and that was a bill that required us to, to remove 50% of the materials from our waste stream and recycle them. So we got together to deal with the landfill problem and to you know, get a better recycling program through economies of scale, and that's what really started the place. Well, and it sounds to me like, I mean, and I'm always sort of a taxpayer advocate, um, if you're, you know, sitting in a situation where counties can refuse to take garbage into their landfills or they can, you know, charge crazy high prices, that's going to be filtered back to the individual ratepayer. And so it sounds like this was an organization that kind of protected ratepayers from exorbitant garbage bills. That's, that's indeed the case. 
Um, and actually, what happened is the Supreme Court ruled uh, in the early about the about ninety three, I believe, that um, you could not fetter intercounty commerce, just like interstate commerce. And so the landfill crisis went away. But since we had all of this solid waste in one place, we immediately negotiated a deal. And for all of our member agencies, we were able to lower our garbage rates by about 20%. And then following that, we bid the garbage for the first time in the area to large companies. And uh, we were able to find another 20% 20% in savings. So when we started out, and I should say by 1995, after that bidding process, we had uh, lowered everyone's garbage rates for, depending on the community, about 30 to 35%. And, and, and we still enjoy some of the lowest solid waste and recycling rates in the, in the state, and we're quite proud of that. That's great. And you should be receiving thank you cards on recycled content paper from every resident in your area. That's awesome. Now, um, in mid-November, your organization created a committee to monitor recycling markets. And tell us what you're finding in your research. Well, as you heard earlier from Steve, um, in, in November, the market, uh, you know, it was always a volatile market, up and down, up and down. But uh, the market basically crashed, and there was just no demand for recycled con- recycled materials. Paper, for example, was hit worst of all. And um, so what we found is since then, the market has come up, but nowhere near the peaks it was, say, in early autumn. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're finding that that's not just for us here, but that's everywhere in the nation. And basically, it uh, um, it's because... The Chinese, or I should say the Asian markets, basically the Chinese markets, have shut down due to a glut of materials because there's not as many consumer goods being purchased, and the fiber we send them makes the packaging for that stuff. Mm -hmm. And so we find ourselves in a position with a very low demand right now for our product. Wow. And that's... You know, that's one of those things that, you know, everybody's talking about government bailouts, but you really can't have a government bailout for something like that because that wouldn't make a lick of sense. I mean, that, you know, that basically um, would be using taxpayer money to save taxpayer money, and it's kind of like taking, you know, money out of one side of your pocket pants and putting it in the other. So you really do need a free market solution to that. And, uh, boy, that's a tough situation. Based on what you're seeing, what are your immediate and long-term concerns regarding the recycling market? I mean, what are you what are you anticipating? We anticipate that uh, as it has just very recently, it will come up, but nowhere near the levels it has. But you know, the key to this, and you read this in the papers and in all the and all you know all the reporters and the columns, that the economy is one huge connected thing. Mm-hmm. And so, really, what we need is is we need the consumer economy to come up. So there's more demand for consumer goods and the packaging that the uh, – I'm here, I'm talking mostly about paper, but this mm-hmm. is true of all the commodities. The more packaging is needed, and that will what will float this boat higher. Mm-hmm. I see. Now, in an article that – I was talking to Steve about this article that was in the Contra Costa Times, one of my mm-hmm. favorite newspapers, um, on November 25th, um, you mentioned that you might need temporary amendments some of your contracts that might be necessary in order to keep recyclables out of the landfills. Can you explain this further to our listeners and help us understand what you mean by that? 
Yeah, we um, the, what, we get a share of the recycling revenues, and over the years uh, since the mid '90s, there is a market has been a market until very recently, of course, for recyclables, and we get a share of the money for that. We use that money here not directly to offset rates, but rather we use that revenue to. Uh, build new recycling programs, new diversion programs, and such. And so, um, you know, we have, um, what we want to do is, is we want to keep the stuff out of the landfills, and because once it goes to the landfill, there's no market for it. Right. So what we're finding out here is that uh, we think that because the market will be rather spotty in the, in the foreseeable future, we may have to, we may have to warehouse Products. What's happened in the past? The products are sent to be processed, bailed, and shipped to transport. Be shipped for transportation to markets. Uh If the market goes down below a certain point where it's no longer practical to do that, what we think we need to do is to store the materials, warehouse them, and, of course, that will come as a cost, uh, Jill. Until such time as the market picks up, then we can send the stuff out. So this is a new expense that we think that we'll be uh, having to deal with, and that will, of course, uh, be cutting the amount of money uh, that we will be able to budget for new programs in the future. Yeah, boy, the ripple effect just doesn't seem to end. Now, to the average person, average resident, what does all this mean? Should consumers be doing anything differently, or is there any action we can take to ease this situation? What's your advice? Well, uh, you know, my advice to everybody is, is I don't care how the economy is, whether it's a good economy, a bad economy, whether it's up or down, recycling is still good for this planet. And people should continue to recycle, uh, agencies like ours, processors like Steve and others, we will respond to this, but people still need to recycle. Continue to put the materials in your recycling cans, take them to recycling centers, and uh, it's important that we do this, Jill, because in the past, the used materials market have been in Asia by and large and not been developed in this country. Mm-hmm. As long as people continue to recycle and that material exists, there will be a demand, hopefully, to start up more industry, more recycling processing industries here in this country. Mm-hmm. Everybody stops recycling. There won't be any products for them to do that. So my advice, keep recycling, keep doing what you're doing, and uh, this, this situation, too, eventually will pass. Well, that's comforting. And, and from somebody who's been in the business, as long as you have, I mean, you know, and, and that's, you know, information that we can trust, and I appreciate that. Um, there's an emergency workshop that the California Integrated Waste Management Board is going to be hosting in Sacramento next week, December 10th. Um, what do you expect to come from that workshop? Well, uh, frankly, Jill, I'd like to have a miracle come from the workshop. <laughs> or tell us uh, some, something that will make everything okay. But I am hoping that they can come up with some strategies. But one worry I think that all of us that administer these programs have is the state does require a 50% of a reduction in solid waste for recycling and diversion. And to the extent that we may not be able to develop new programs to get beyond that or perhaps slip a bit, I would hope that the state would be understanding of that and that uh, there will be instructions for them uh, coming from them that will hopefully uh, uh, give us a little breathing room to well, deal with we'll this situation. Well, we'll ask Mark Leary about that. He's the executive director of the California Integrated Waste Management Board. He's going to be on right after the break. So, folks, don't go away. More Go Green Radio right after this. 
Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Hi, my name is Aaron, and I'm a survivor of mannequinism. Mannequinism is basically when you turn into a hard plastic shell. They say it's from not being politically active. For me, it started when I didn't register to vote, and then I stopped volunteering, and before I knew it, I wasn't doing anything. And that's when I found a small patch of plastic on my right shoulder. Protect yourself from mannequinism. Log on to fightmannequinism.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Do you know what the most complex piece of your business capital investment is? Is it the technology? Is it the infrastructure? Could it be the office and corporate structure? The most complex piece of your business capital investment is the human being. Return on Human Capital is a unique program that discusses some of the most important issues facing leaders in business. Join your hosts, Howard Pines and Jay Santamaria, for Return on Human Capital, Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Glad to have you on this week. Uh, We've got a really important show. We've been talking about what's happening to the recycling market as a result of the economic downturn. You know, we know from seeing on the news that the economy's had an impact on a number of industries, but what we haven't been hearing much about is the impact on the recycling industry. And so we've had two guests on already who are experts in the field, and now we are joined by the Executive Director of the California Integrated Waste Management Board, Mark Leary. Mark, we're glad to have you. Welcome to Go Green Radio. Well, thank you so much, Jill. I'm happy to be here and happy to assist a fellow University of Illinois alum anytime. Oh, you're a fellow Illini. <laughs> Go Illini. I love it. Absolutely. <laughs> I love it. Well, Mark, we have listeners from all over the U.S., And uh, so please explain to them what the California Integrated Waste Management Board does here in the Golden State. What's your function? What's your mission? Help us understand. Well, that's pretty easy. We're pretty straightforward. We're the statewide regulatory agency uh, headquartered in Sacramento, and we oversee and ensure that solid waste is managed in a way in this state that protects public health and the environment. But we also 
ensure that the jurisdictions, the cities and counties of the state, meet the 50% mandate. That is the law that Paul referenced earlier Mm -hmm. that requires every city and county to divert 50% of their waste from landfills and put it back into the economic mainstream. Well, and as we were alluding to, and I've talked about this on Go Green Radio before, that bill, and for those of you out there who might want to look it up, called AB 939. It was passed in 1989 in California, and other states have, have adopted similar, um, you know, goals and similar sure. ordinances. But basically, it was to reduce the amount of stuff going to the landfill by 50% here in the state of California. And some counties have set goals for even higher than that. Um, but, but the fact is, it wasn't just to keep things out of the landfill. There was an economic benefit because, as Paul was mentioning, we were running out of landfill space. And when a landfill becomes a landfill, then somebody's got to pay to dig a new hole in the ground, and that's taxpayers and ratepayers, garbage ratepayers. So, you know, the part of what was behind AB 939 was not just, you know, saving trees and whatnot. It was actually saving taxpayers um, from, from having to build new landfills, which, as we can all guess, probably wouldn't be any further away from our homes. They'd probably be closer. So it's all good, and there's a, there's a human benefit to that. Now, I know a little bit about the history of, of the board, sure. but, Mark, tell us how it came into being. What, besides AB 39, 939, um, what were the conditions that created the California Integrated Waste Management Board to begin with? Well, I, I think it was exactly 939 that created it and this mandate to move to 50%. But the legislature in creating and passing the legislation and creating the bill recognized, as you just suggested, that landfill space was growing sparse and, and costs to build new landfills. But there was also an environmental ethic in California that, uh, that followed on with the environmental movement throughout the country that, about protecting natural resources and using uh, waste as an economic mainstream or as a feedstock to replace the use of virgin materials in a way that's economically viable, saves energy, um, and protects the natural resources, and makes new products out of old waste Mm -hmm. in a way that starts a new economy. And we've come to find and study in California that the building of the recycling infrastructure in our state has contributed $10 billion to the state's economy and over 10,000 new jobs in this state. So so in a way, it's, it's uh, it was visionary in the sense that we protected natural resources, we saved money, but we actually created a new economy that, of course, California has benefited from. And what's really cool about that economy is that, by definition, it's here at home. I mean, these aren't jobs that are outside of California or outside of the U.S. They're here. They're employing our people, which is a great thing. That's really important. Now, tell us what you're beginning to see here in the short term and the long term for recycling markets. We've been talking about this today. I want to ask you a two-part question. What are your greatest concerns? But also, what are you most confident about? Well, we, we uh, as, as I think your previous uh, guests, Steve and Paul, have really kind of defined the problem very well, the immediate problem, the short-term problem. And our concerns are, are, as you think about it globally and over the long term, we have developed maybe an unfortunate reliance on, on out-of-state and out-of-country processing and markets. And 
maybe we need to return to building the infrastructure, as Paul suggested, within the country uh, for these materials and, and make them back into uh, new materials. I'm also concerned in the more short term that some of these materials that are recyclable end up being landfilled because this, this foreign market has uh, suffered such a dramatic downturn, and, and we're working together with the local agencies and the recyclers to try to prevent that. But also, from our regulatory perspective, as this stuff, is, this material is stockpiled, we want to make sure that it in itself doesn't pre- prevent a threat to public health and safety, and that uh, large quantities of stockpiled paper could uh, make quite a mess if uh, the right spark landed in the right place. That is right. So, so uh Pursuant to our regulatory authority and permitting facilities and overseeing the safe storage and safe um, movement of solid waste, we want to make sure that that's done safely also. Well, is that what you're going to be covering on this at this workshop December 10th? So tell us what the agenda is for that, because uh, Paul's hoping for a miracle. I think we all kind of I, are. I heard that. <laughs> I heard that. And I hate to not live up to Paul's expectations, but then he tempered his uh, expectations a little bit. And I think what we're we're doing already, and and even even prior to this workshop, is we've we've issued some guidance to our partners at the local level in terms of regulation of solid waste, and suggested that we can look for alternatives to move beyond current current permitted capacities and expand permits to allow for greater storage of those materials, even on site at the transfer station or their material recovery facility, so that we won't find them out of violation. We won't find them. In, um, not in compliance with our statutes if they take certain precautions and expand their permits and change their permits in the right way. So we've, we've already issued some guidance in that respect. So we're hoping that, that at least at the local level makes those facilities' uh, ability to operate a little more comfortable and ensures that they're working with the local fire department to, to pr- protect uh, from potential for fires and, mm-hmm. and the rodent issues and all, all the um, associated uh, possible threats that come along with uh, the movement and storage of solid waste. That's but, an excellent point, Mark, because I know just here in my hometown, our transfer station had a fire issue. I've seen that happen at other facilities, even biomass, uh, you know, energy from waste facilities. They've got to monitor that very, very closely because um, as things sit, the certain materials start to compost, and that creates heat, and spontaneous combustion is a concern. Absolutely. Well, do you have any advice for consumers at this time? I mean, certainly I didn't want to put this show on to raise any panic. I wanted to inform our listeners so they are aware of what's going on. What would you say to our listeners at this point? Well, I, I think uh, I'll, I'll expand on maybe a little bit of what the listeners have already heard from, from Steve and Paul. There's no reason this, this, this current crisis in, in markets is no reason to change behavior in the California and the nation's consumers in terms of, of continuing the recycling practices. But moving a little bit above and beyond even the recycling aspect, but there's a whole aspect of keeping waste out of landfills that has to do with reducing our waste in the first place, um, finding ways to buy products, uh, buy materials in a way that doesn't involve lots of packaging, look for products that that uh, reduce their packaging, look for ways to avoid creating the waste in the first place. A big, a big issue here in California that uh, is also present, particularly along the West Coast, is this whole idea of moving away from single-use plastic bags. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, we've seen a number of uh, cities and counties in the state 
ban the use of plastic bags, and it probably won't be long before there's statewide legislation that provides for some sort of disincentive for the use of single-use plastic bags. And and, and that's a good thing because, I mean, you see them all over the place. Mark, I would love to have you back on because this has been fascinating, and I hope that you will come back on. Folks, we are here same time next week. Please join us for more Go Green Radio. And, Mark, thanks for joining us today. Happy to do it, Jill, and happy to help out in the future. Thank you. Folks, uh, we'll be back next week. Join us for more Go Green Radio. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. <laughs>